Hi, my name's Tom Gelly, and you're about to listen to an interview with Brent Armsbury. Brent is a master boot fitter and owner of Park City Ski Boot in Utah. Brent and I have been friends for a long time, and we caught up recently in Park City and just chatted about some really, uh, you know, what he's up to. But he looked at my ski boots, and if you've heard anything about what I sort of think, my thoughts on ski boots, you'll know that I sort of have some different opinions and views on how to set up your ski boots, and they're perhaps against the the average or the norm in the industry. So Brent, after seeing the reason why I'd set up my boots and understanding a little better, said, "Let's get in, let's get in touch, let's do a podcast now on how pain." came to dictate performance because the reason is there's history behind why ski boots are sort of modified and why there are custom insoles and those sorts of things and you'll find out in the history a lot of it has to do with dealing with pain ski boots were really uncomfortable when they went from leather to plastic anyway i'll let brand explain a whole lot more here he has a lot more uh, experience and knowledge on this whole thing and it's fascinating so with this interview, I really hope you gain some insight into perhaps a newer model or newer way of thinking and looking at your ski boot setup. We don't want you to throw away anything currently, like any custom insoles or anything. We just want to pique your curiosity and interest and maybe do some scientific testing yourself, go through the process of what happens when you change a few things. And you'll learn a little bit more about, as Brent call, calls it, the model of more a passive model where the, the foot is supported and really securely locked in place inside the ski boot versus a more dynamic model where the foot ha- is allowed a little bit more motion. It's not sort of controlled as much. And so I'll leave you to be the judge of, of what you think of this and what you do with it. It's just information at the end of the day. And I hope you find the conversation with Brent Armsbury and myself really interesting. So after catching up with Brent in Park City in March, we had a good conversation there. and sort of got the the cogs turning in both our heads. Brent reached out recently and said, hey, why don't we do a podcast discussion with the title being How Pain Came to Dictate Performance? And we're, we're speaking today about ski boots. Okay, so that's the topic. You've got a really kind of a, a nice place to start this whole kind of discussion, which is where, where did this all begin? And why have you chosen this, this kind of like topic of pain dictating performance? Hi, Tom. <laughs> you too. So, um, I think this all started off, you know, where, you know, we've been seeing some very interesting outcomes from your, uh, from, from your website, from Big Picture Ski. And uh, we're seeing some things that, are kind of counterintuitive to what this industry has built up over time. Sort of the there's they're counterintuitive to the, some of the cornerstones that the ski boot industry and the boot fitting industry has set in is set in place. Okay, and it made me it made me think. You know, I looked at your boots, right? I saw what you had you had done to your boots. And it was, it was really cool to look at how you'd set up your ski boots because um, it wasn't always addressing pain, right? It wasn't like, oh, these punches or these shapes or what's going on inside this boot wasn't all just saying, hey, I'm just trying to make these things comfortable. What I was seeing is like this really well-crafted um, approach of how you could get the maximum performance right out of the boot knowing how you balance the best knowing how you have figured out what works the best for you and definitely some of the things I saw in there were not what this industry promotes okay as a baseline like you go to a boot fitter and he's like I'm going to mold this boot and I'm going to punch all the spots where you're probably going to get pain and they're going to put you on this custom molded footbed full support you know ski thotic or footbed and then we're going to line you up and do canting and all these things right and that's not what i was seeing there and so that got me really thinking and how did we get here how did we get to 
um, setting up equipment in a way that's now actually become a little bit counterintuitive of what we're seeing this industry promote all the way across the board. Okay. Absolutely. I'm coming from the perspective of not so much boot fitting right now as from being a certified pedorthist and working with runners, working with uh, skiers, working with people who go hiking, uh, speed skaters, um, I mean, a whole slew of athletes and people who, who perform in, in sports and seeing what all they've been doing, right? And how they want their equipment set up and taking that as a culmination of ideas and how they're getting maximum performance. And yet, even in, in their side of the sport, whether it may not be skiing at all, they're doing things that are completely counterintuitive to what that sport has said you're supposed to do for years. Okay. Excellent. So yeah. Really interesting to see that using completely different uh, modeling, different types of approaches actually can generate really in, in interesting outcomes. Yeah. So, so take us back because you have the life experience of, of going through the, the period of, of leather boots, leather ski boots into plastic ski boots. And would you say that's a great place for us to now talk about? So we go back, like, where did this uh, model, yeah. Yeah, current we, model we have, come from? You have to start right here, right? <laughs> you know, right, the plastic ski boot was, was introduced in 1965. And this was the baseline of really setting a new performance standard compared to a leather ski boot, right? Leather was stretchy. Um, it had stiffening components. They were putting in fiberglass, the things are reinforced, but it was a lace-up um, device that when it got wet, it got softer. It changed shape as you were skiing in it. So if we were looking at it as, as a performance device, it wasn't very good, right? Huge, not a lot of motion controlling to it. I mean, you could dorsiflex and plantar flex and your foot could roll around in it and it was constantly changing. And so you had to have this incredible level of athleticism to make a leather ski boot work. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. And then boom, there's the plastic ski boot, right? The hard shell, um, everything that you hated about leather was solved with a nice hard material that didn't warp, didn't change when it got wet. And when you pushed on it, it, it sent information to the ski directly. Boom. Yeah. But there was one, there's one thing that happened with the plastic ski boot that wasn't happening with the leather one was you're putting a soft tissue, all right, human anatomy, right? Think of these bones covered in muscles, you know, all the muscles of the foot and the tissue and all that. And you're taking it and you put it in a hard, a really hard environment. And then you use these leverage buckles and you squished it down into this foot binding um, situation, high compression situation. And if you talk to anybody from that era, right, over the years of boot fitting, I've spoken to many, many clients who have talked about the boots they had in the 1960s, right? They said, oh, I, I got one of those first plastic boots. And they always tell a story about how painful these boots could be, right? Super yeah. painful. And they got, they were bleeding and they got sh uh, shin bang, uh, mainly shin bang, right? Uh, and they, they got all sorts of lumps and bumps and it was painful, but they were willing to go through it because the performance had increased so much that they were willing to, they were willing to trade that off. Right. Sure. And it didn't take long after 1965 before you see a complete response to that pain, right? There's a, there's an immediate reaction to what the early plastic two buckle, uh, the, the two-piece multiple buckle boot did. And that was, boom, less than 10 years later, two guys leave Lang and they come up with the Hansen rear entry boot, which is a mm. completely 
different move. It's a complete reaction to the pain, all right? They're still using plastic, but now there's no buckles over the top of your feet. It's a slip-on. Yeah. In the back, it's got maybe one buckle, maybe two, but the first one's had one buckle, and your foot is just being held in by this neoprene booty, and it exploded. It was crazy successful because you have this high performance, but painful device. And the reaction was, I, I want comfort. I want to get rid of this pain. All right. And so mm -hmm. boom, that first reaction to pain was the rear entry ski boot. That, was that ever skied by, uh, taken up by races, like at the well, highest level? Much later, much, much okay. later last era of the rare tribute and there's going to be people in this audience go yeah of course mark ghirardelli boom right he raced world cup on solomon sx90 <laughs> boots they were a rear entry boot but um hank kashawa yeah he raced on hansen spider boots right and uh so it, it took a lot of time before rear entry, you know, the rear entry boots developed themselves that were being accepted um, by the, the racing class. But, but, but I'm guessing there's, there was still people were not happy. Uh, I mean, the general public much happier with yes. comfort, but then performance wise, people are like, mm, no, I still think in general, we can get better performance out of the, uh, the shape we see today. Right. The two piece um, overlap boot continued always continued to dominate performance you know yes All the great racers in europe just think of franz Klammer's 1976 you know uh olympic winning downhill run right he's in a buckled yep. dinafit uh stiff you know classic racing boot of that time and think of ingemar stenmark five buckle caber boots right i mean this is what defined performance at the time and yeah. so when did, I'm oh, sorry to interrupt you there. I was going to say, when, when did you start seeing, say, the, the, also the, the look into custom orthotics, supporting the foot, limiting motion to deal with, or, or maybe I'm jumping ahead, it's saying that was to deal with also pain in these plastic boots. Right. So you've got 1965, you've got the two-piece plastic boot from Lang, and then six, seven years later, you got rare entry boots. But only a few years later, you've got Peterson, Bill Peterson making the first direct mold uh, footbeds for, for skiing, right? He's an ex-US ski team member, um, cyclist, right? He's a biomechanics guy and uh, a CPED. Uh, you know, an orthopedic guy who basically says, hey, here's, we still have problems, okay? You still have a problem. It doesn't matter whether you put it in a rear entry boot or you put it into a, a two-piece boot. The foot still has the, this ability to collapse, right? To go through a, a maybe a, a range of pronation or to supinate, but the foot is still mechanically capable of deforming inside the boot. And so we, we also have to take a look at ski technique at that time. I mean, what, what were we doing? I mean, I was an instructor in 1984, all right? And I remember my clinician, right, saying, hey, you've got to brace yourself, right? I'm, I'm, I'm actually A-framing, tucking my downhill knee behind my uphill, right? Um, only I'm setting it on edge and I'm standing on that foot like I'm bracing against it. Right, mm. ski that time was you were bracing yourself against this against that ski, and so immediately everything you're trying to look for inside that boot fit is motion control. It's supporting that foot so you can just stand on it and brace against that ski throughout the turn, and almost like create a more direct le like lever. That when you when your leg goes sideways, the boot goes directly sideways, the ski goes sideways, and so it's it's like completely uh, sort of uniform as possible as can Correct. be. Like that's the thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that you're trying to do to to deal with the 
the compression that the boot is putting on your foot. And from the technology of that time, right, we're got to think that also in parallel with what's happening in ski boots, there's sports medicine, right? Sports medicine is expanding. Plastics, plastics are coming into sports medicine for foot orthotics, right? So now you can mold things around plaster casts or casts of the feet, and you can come up with these, these really easily achievable devices to support the foot in something that's trying to crush your foot, right? Mm -hmm. And at the, all the time, you're trying to make your foot a better lever, all right, to brace against the forces that are happening underneath your feet and onto the ski. Yeah. And so that's, so that's the, that's now we're entering. That's the, the ideal setup is, is put the foot in this, this sort of brace position. Don't allow it to move because we're our thinking is yeah. Direct leverage, control the ski, easier dealing with, with the forces. And, um, and so then custom yes. customs yeah. insoles are, are, are now like really what people off. are. Yeah, you're. It's just this natural progression from a plastic ski boot, who generate that generates a lot of compression around the foot and can take a mobile type foot and really bend it and really torque on its muscular structure, and make it pretty unhappy. And so that natural progression is, hey, if that's crushing my foot, let's put something underneath it, underneath the arch, uh, through the heel. Um, let's limit that motion as much as possible and support that foot as much as possible. And of course the results were really good at that time if you were putting it in the context of bracing yourself against the ski. I mean, mm -hmm. I know that my first pair of super feet full cork footbeds, I mean, these things were firm cork, like almost rock-like, right? With a thin fabric cover, these were great. Right, 1985. This was like a massive uh, enlightenment for me because I have pronated feet. I'd had foot orthotics when I was a teenager um, running track, right? And um, I always had pain in my ski boots, right? Pain, 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 pain. Mm -hmm. Boom! I get a ski orthotic in my boot, and it's truly enlightening, right? It's it's a huge leap forward, but. I'm not skiing like I'm skiing now. I'm not doing the technique that we've evolved to. I'm not looking mm -hmm. at edge angles. Okay. I'm bracing against a 200 centimeter slalom ski that's 63 millimeters underneath my foot, right? It's got a radius of 37 meters. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, everything that I'm doing is to brace my foot in that boot up against that ski. So, and so was that, was that when you, was that around the time you decided to go into boot fitting at all, by the way? Well, I was already boot fitting at the time I was working in a ski shop and, 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 and boot fitting at that time, there wasn't a lot of tools. I mean, tools were just coming out, little expanders from Superfeet, um, other tools like a, a Scott press. Um, you could do some basic stuff. We were doing some shapes and trying to get, but but boots were still not, they weren't. So like you couldn't do, you couldn't do the kind of like accurate punches you do in your shop now back then, right? So, so you had a, an uncomfortable navicular, uncomfortable medial malleolus, lateral malleolus, the, the, the fifth metatarsal, like right. you just, uh, so, so then also comes along a custom insole, limiting your foot from those bony bits pressing as much, correct? against Correct. these and so instantly less pain and uh and you know if you're just enjoying skiing around the mountain just you know yeah. not cranking it suddenly you ski all day compared to maybe really stopping and unbuckling and taking your boots off in the restaurant kind of thing yeah, yeah. so then people are like you've got to get this you've got to get this and the, the pain reduction was massive but here's what's funny i had skied from the early 1970s up to 1985, you know, I was a junior, I was a junior racer, you know, and, and uh, I was always fussing with my boots and fiddling and fussing, but there was one thing that never, ever 
happened until I got footbeds was canting. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got footbeds, I then had a canting problem. Uh-huh. Okay. I got rid of the pain, but because I had realigned my foot, the way my knee tracked on one side of my body was completely different. Uh-huh. Yep. I remember going down. I think that road that's do you know what it's just something it's just clicked too. I remember when I got made a pair of CDAS highly supportive footbeds. Mm-hmm. And it was when I'd switched to this like Dalbello boot. And suddenly I'm like, hang on, my knee's in the wrong place. And I'm going down the road of canting up to three degrees out on my right knee to make me feel like my knee is in the right spot. But then, yeah, seeing some strange things like skiing down a black run and I suddenly get this sewing machine leg where my knee's going in and out like crazy and and like having some big crashes because the, yeah. these forces, I couldn't actually really, when they got really high, uh, my knee was not in the right place. Yeah, when performance was asked of me. Yeah. And so, so interesting. Again, pain dictated the priority, right? I reduced mm-hmm. the pain. But then I started to realize over time that I had a, a new performance issue. Mm-hmm. I got rid of the pain, right? But now I had another performance issue. It was now on my left side. I couldn't get my knee to track. Yep. So you're going to canting and, and I suppose the the rest of the ski boot world is now also finding this as well. And so people are coming up with, okay, well, the, the sports medicine world says knee tracks over second toe. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll change the the soles to, to get us back to that point again. Would that be fairly safe to say? Yeah. It's becoming fairly accurate in in, in a description because one thing is leading to another, right? We're responding. Mm -hmm. We're generating this motion, you know, this orthopedically driven, sports medicine driven at the time, motion controlling, support, 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 um, and control that motion as much as possible. And of course, you're getting really good results because you're getting rid of the pain. I mean, when you go to a ski shop, you work with a boot fitter. What's a boot fitter really trying to do for you? He's triaging the pain. Yeah. What That's why I, I remember coming to you for that for, for that exact reason. I wasn't coming to you for points. I found out a few little tips and secrets. Uh, I, you told me like of what people would do to to, to help with that because I was starting to chase it. But I came to you because my ankles were killing and my fifth sixth toe area was killing. And yeah, so <laughs> yeah. So- We'll, we'll get back to that later, how this has come full circle, Tom. So it's, it's, it's good you brought that up, but we'll all okay. interview that at the end. So you, you can see where we're going with this in terms of like we're constantly responding to pain in terms of that relieving pain is what improves performance. Okay? Mm-hmm. This has been the cornerstone and the foundation. And in general, it works still pretty good, but we're not but we're, we're talking about a different level of performance. If you go into a shop and you're a recreational skier and you just wanna be set up so that you can go up and down the mountain with whatever technique you have, okay? Not Tom Gelly technique, okay? Mm-hmm. You're not looking for big edge angles. You're not looking for racing. You're not looking to balance on one foot right you're just looking to get up and down that mountain with some scarving and some pivoting and some a little bit of leaning back every now and then and you're having a good time the model that we've built in this industry works pretty good Mm -hmm. but then you could even you could even say that the the modern skis also have adapted to make that very easy very fine skidding everywhere and having a great time going fast right so yeah yeah 1990s and all of a sudden the shape ski comes out the rear entry boots dying okay it's dying off because from a performance standard it can't keep up with what's happening underneath your foot with a ski okay it just it just doesn't um you've got 
deeper radius side because I mean I remember the first time I stepped onto a a lawn SCX with about 10 meter side cut this wacky looking uh, ice cream spoon of a ski and making a couple runs on it and by the third run it was amazing right like it didn't take any angulation to get that thing to start digging trenches in the snow and it was a sensation I had never felt before in my life yeah even though they were super unstable going straight. I mean, they were like having two squirrels, all right? And then both those squirrels were going in different directions. <laughs> it took a lot to keep, but the, once they were on edge, it was really pretty amazing. And that's when the first, um, like, hey, I can actually feel myself rolling up onto edge and making these really crazy trenchy type turns. And it started to develop with like oh wow canting is like oh geez i really need to pay attention to how i'm balancing over these edges okay yeah yeah to realize they need to start being way more and there's there's people who tried those skis and they couldn't get them up on edge and you can just imagine if their boots were set up in such a way that they couldn't get that foot to roll to that and even remotely roll to an inside edge yeah I mean, you hated the skis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much easier on a straighter ski to just be more in charge of where that thing is steering to. You want to steer, you have to turn your foot. These things are, you know, tipping more, they're turning more, and they're building centripetal forces, like, very quickly. Yeah. So, so yeah. You go, I mean, if you're, if you're so used to this bracing model that your foot is completely super supported inside that boot, and you're completely braced, you can't, I mean, getting up and onto or getting onto that round radius of ski was not a friendly feeling. If you're serious about stepping up your skiing skills, listen up. I've been working closely with the Carve team for over four years, and they've just unveiled a groundbreaking feature, active coaching mode. And here's the lowdown. Launch it at the top of your run and go through a quick calibration with 10 turns and it sets a baseline just below your current skill level. From there, every turn is a challenge, adapting on the fly to your skill, terrain and conditions. No fluff, just a gamified experience pushing you to ski better every turn. It does this by using a super thin insole lined with small pressure sensors and motion detectors. It's like having a personal coach analyzing your every move. And here's the sweet part. If you hit a hot streak with excellent form and you're in for double or triple points it's addictive rewarding like i said it's a very gamified experience and it transforms every run into a step towards better skiing if you're intrigued and you should be check out carve and dive into active coaching mode just google get carve to find out more and as a bonus enter code gelly 15 to take 15 percent off it's amazing i've heard from the carve team that now nearly over a third of the users are using active coaching mode when they go out and ski with it. So why not give it a try yourself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is about so what, that you go ahead. To shift, right? So you, we, we're looking at this passive model, right? This, this, we call, I like to call it a passive model because that is when you put your foot right onto um, a supportive device, right? You've got this foot on basically an arch support and you've got all these, these bones positioned in, in their most neutral position. All the facets are lining up. Um, the heel is as vertical, right, as possible. It's as a neutral position and you're, you've got this foot now just completely encased, right, from, from every angle. Um, this this becomes passive, right? The muscles in here don't have to do much, mm-hmm. right? The, the 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 foot is actually kind of saying, just go to go to sleep. You don't have yeah. to do, just stand on it, yeah. right? And if all yeah. you're doing is kind of going back and forth the front of that ski with a little bit of angulation, you're 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 in a very passive state with that foot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And you can yeah. generate some, you can generate some um, motion, right? There is the ability to kind of overrun that foot a little bit, but you're so contained in that device. It's, you're not going to be able to evert and you're not going to be able to invert very much. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. It's great for bracing, right? You yep. stand it's great for bracing. I so think I think right here, can I can I jump in please? now just speaking a little bit of like Tom Gelly's timeline and his sort of cause because I'd started out going with uh footbeds, just following what everyone else was saying and canting and I've made the Australian demo team and things are going really well. And then life is like, do you really want to keep uh, skiing for the rest of your life? Cause you've met this woman who you're going to marry. You're going to have kids. Is it going to be enough? And I've decided, no, it's not. What am I going to do outside of that? I find I discover rolfing or structural integration. And this lady in Canada, Claudia, she did these series of, of fascial kind of realignment, really firm bodywork sort of sessions on me. And I'm finding my body loosen up, feel better. I'm like being taught at the same time by her about, well, you know, you should, like if everything's working well in your body, your muscles are all alive and the foot muscles are all working. I particularly remember the foot session, you know, feeling just really noticing how my foot sits on the ground and where the weight is and so at this point, I go, that's what I'm going to study. I go to Salt Lake City and I learn this stuff myself. And I'm interested in going, well, this doesn't fit. If, if all these people are saying your body is built to balance properly when all the muscles and the bones are all working. And there's all these examples of, of great you know, athletes and people that don't use external devices. I'm questioning my own footbeds. So I go home, hairdryer and take off the glue, take the first layer of uh, reinforced arch bit off. So the shape's still there, but there's, there's less, there's, it's less stiff. Ski the next day at Brighton and go, mm, I just, I feel more and I'm noticing more what's going on in the snow. I kind of like this. A few days later, hairdryer again, flatten further, uh, take more shape out and, and feel more of these things that I'm learning about in school and working on other people's bodies, I'm getting my body worked on and feeling like my whole entire system is getting more woken up. I'm skiing better. I'm skiing more symmetrically. So at that point, I'm finding out this other, I guess, perspective, this, what you kind of described, this dynamic model, I guess, of looking at, you know, if you stand on your feet, well, those muscles are sort of reflexively kicked in your arch stands up on its own and you can kind of, it's got some adaptive adaptability to it. So thought I'd throw that in there. That's where I started. And, and, and then now I ski just, um, uh, yeah, with, without, because I'm really trying to work on being, uh, allow my body to do as much of the work as possible. Right. And right around the millennium, right. We, we, we go to year 2000, there are studies in Germany that are being done at looking at a new model, right? Like the Germans were like, they're the orthopedic gold standard when it comes to foot orthotics and supporting the foot and arch supports. I mean, if you look at um, foot orthotics, they have like the highest per capita um, penetration foot orthotics of any country, like 25 or 26% of the country wears some type of foot orthotic that's prescribed, right? Interesting. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you also find that in Australia. You guys are, you have a huge podiatry foot orthotic industry, right? Yep. Uh, and you find that in, in developed nations, there's, there's so, there's really high penetration. And even the United States, a lot of people, you know, were, are running in, um, have running orthotics, right? Prescription, firm, uh, acrylic or carbon fiber, really firm foot supports, right? And so right about 2000, this new model is starting to uh, become more evaluated and saying why we still have this really strong um, record of, of injuries, right? We've got running shoes and we've got cushioning supports and we've got orthotics, but how come people are getting injured still so much? And so the thinking is what, what are we doing wrong here? And so this dynamic model starts to evolve. I mean, in 2006, we get a guy who writes a book called Born to Run and says, 
hey, there's this whole tribe in Mexico and they can run a hundred miles with just a thin piece of leather on their feet, right? No shoe orthotics, no shoes, no Nikes, no whatever, right? No motion controlling Brooke Beast shoes, right? They're running a hundred miles. And so this whole new dynamic model is starting to form around the idea that maybe, and I'm not saying this is 100% correct, but maybe we're over-supporting. Maybe we are making our, our muscular structure too passive. We're, we're just trying to control motion way too much, okay? And so, I mean, I'm gonna uh, just click here for a second. To, yep. Uh, a warning shot, okay? So I'm reading Ski Magazine from 1983. This is Ski Magazine, October, 1983, okay? Yeah. There's, they're talking about uh, ski orthotics, okay? okay? And they're talking about, they say something about this instathotic is a hardcore composition insole, you know, and uh, it's like an orthotic, right? It's really firm, it's super supportive. And here comes Bill Peter and he says, his orthotic is made of multiple layers of foam plastic. And, um, and, um, and his, here's his quote, Bill Peterson feels that traditional ski orthotics, including the one from his competitor, the instathotic are, are too rigid chose the foam material because it allows him to build a rigid heel cup and the laminate it to a more elastic arch support. Um, and he goes on to say it prevents excessive pronation, but allows, here's the, here's the word, it allows the articulation necessary for precise skiing. Mm -hmm. Right? This is 1983. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm. And what's interesting about that is that here's a biomechanics guy and he's already kind of seeing that if we just lock up the foot completely, it doesn't really produce higher performance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I've looked at a few of those old ski magazine uh, online. There's some really interesting stuff. I actually remember finding one about uh, they looked, they were looking at boot modifications and they had like, Giardelli and they had all these people and they showed you pictures of you know like some of the bolting more material onto the back of the cuff making the cuff higher and it's actually really I guess my point is it's really interesting to go back in time and and look at some things because yeah there are little hints that you know a trend started to happen and then why did it shift away sure. like uh there's there's always reasons in there yeah so as we're progressing into this we now have these sort of two we're building up these two models. We have an older model that's built on a full support and motion control, right? Mm -hmm. Now we're a new model that says, let's take into account the muscles of our lower extremity. And let's see if we can figure out if we can improve the outcome by building up these muscles and not completely at 100% relying on some type of passive support underneath our foot. Okay. And so we're changing that paradigm and, and, and we're also looking at a shift in how equipment works. Okay. Let's, I mean, look at how um, Hersher and Ligeti and Schifrin and Vaughn, right? Look at the edge angles these World Cup racers are able to achieve. And then take, go back to 1980s and look at how Stenmark and the Mare brothers were skiing. Okay. It's not the same. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Now it's still racing. They're still fast, but it's not the same scheme. Yeah. They were not getting crazy high 65 degree plus edge angles. They weren't doing that. Yeah. They weren't yep. balancing on that edge um, like you're doing now at much slower speeds. So, go ahead. So something's changed right and and the thing that's changed is the equipment has changed so much all right the radius of the skis the way the skis are built um the way boots are produced has changed too yeah I mean, 
you look at, at, at a modern, like if you look at a modern racing boat, right? This being a Fisher podium, and it's kind of hard to see, but if you look at how it's so sculpted underneath the arch, right? It is tucked way underneath. Now, just think of what would happen if you packed in some, think like this footbed right here. Look how thick that mm -hmm. is. Yep. Super full support motion control. If you could figure out how to pack this thing in there, what do you think that boot would feel like in terms of like being able to balance in it and get that foot to initiate and roll onto that, that wall of that boot? Yes. I don't think it happened very well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember you showing me those boots that, are, that are, there's a lot more shape going in into that area already. Right. It's it, yeah, it's already there. Mm. So the equipment has changed quite a bit in terms of the performance and how it's being modeled, right? 3D modeling and CAD cam and all this stuff. We you, you can make these boots that are so much closer to the foot. Yeah. So we really have to sit here and kind of question, you know, how much motion control we really need now in some of this equipment to get up onto the edge to activate the radius of the ski and to dynamically make it go through its 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 optimal ability yes yeah and so i guess we got to go into here now like why we start this conversation where like i guess a message i guess we're trying to get across is there's probably some level of of, of balance here of first of all like have a look at your own feet have a look at your own setup if you've already got a setup and see what it's giving you and then you know go from there like what are you after if there's some pain does it need to be how could you solve it does it need to be done with a foot uh, you know something that's blocking motion or, or or do you want to allow a bit of motion and then you look at other ways of like like punching and grinding to to get your comfort as well as performance there do, do you maybe want to speak to what your message would be about this um you know finding finding this middle ground yeah i i think the first thing is don't throw out your custom footbeds right away okay yeah let's not send a message of just whitewashing and saying you know because you are you have you have people who work with you who have taken their footbeds out of the boot and they've improved their performance right away. But to just say, throw away your footbeds isn't really where we want to start. Your footbeds are a reference point, all right? And so use them as a foundation of what you currently are on, but be willing to take them out of the loop if you're trying to deconstruct where your your equipment in terms of where you're interfacing with it and say okay i got this high performance boot i got this high performance ski i've got these hot you know these supposed high performance footbeds and look at playing with like hey what happens when i take those out what do i gain and what do i give up okay yeah for me i'm a pronator i've always had foot problems um, not deformed by any means, but they mechanically, they're the classic, you know, when a podiatrist looks at my feet, they're like, oh yeah, you got a four foot. You, you step out of the pool onto the concrete yeah. and it looks flatter than someone else's. Yeah, absolutely. You got rear foot yeah. compensatory pronation, et cetera, et cetera. You know, my heel bones everted. And so of course a footbed for me, you know, it helps, but yeah, I, even myself, I'm saying, you know, hey, how do I get to balance more? And I find that my footbeds have changed. Okay, the foot, those super feet corks I got in 1985, they were great. But they were great on a, that equipment of the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm finding that I'm changing my personal prescription as well. You know, my, my arch support in terms of the arch feature is softer. Okay. Um, you know what? I, I'm just going to jump. I think what's really cool is because I learned this from one of my mentors. If you're already, you've lived most of your life pronated, mm -hmm. pronated, not, yeah. So you're there. 
And we're talking about we want, we're talking about this dynamic model that's allowing motion. If you're already stuck in one place, you're also just as good as being stuck in neutral, right? So, so for you, you add a little bit of motion change or positional change. Now you can actually, when you load up the foot with balance, with, with ski forces, motion occurs, muscles react, things happen. So I'm just saying, I think you're like probably speaking to those types of people. You're the, the orthotic is, or the custom insole is helping you experience emotion that is really helpful in, in making a good skeeter. Right. And you should take your existing women equipment and use it as a um, reference point to then compare it to something completely different. Like if you take your footbeds out of your boot and just put the stock one in and go ski on it, what, what changes, mm -hmm. right? You feel like you can engage better. You, can you feel like you can roll or evert onto the wall of the boot with more, with more emphasis or more engagement? Can you, you, can you supinate or invert to the uphill edge better? Do you feel like you're flatter? Do you, I mean, you, you, what are the things that you're benefiting? And then what are the things you know? Hey, I can go out and ski on my boots without footbeds. Yeah. But my result at the end of the day, as I got some pretty achy feet, the muscles are for me, they're overworking, but do I want to build some super rigid foot orthotic to completely to counter that? And the answer is no, no, I'm modifying um, my gear over time based on what what is happening with the rest of my equipment like my skis and stuff and yeah. so i'm not just throwing things out and eliminating them i'm rebuilding i'm re reconstructing the foundation um, that i've had before i'm tearing it down and then rebuilding it back up okay? yeah it's yeah. not a complete replacement or elimination. It's taking what I what I works for me, and then modifying it, and then taking some stuff away and putting some things on, and then finding where I'm balancing. Yeah. So get back to you. Like you learned some things from me way back when we worked together, but then I learned something from you just recently. I watched your um, uh, video about balancing in a boot. And so, of course, you know, I'm, I'm in my boot and I got my footbeds in there and I'm bouncing up and down, standing on one foot. And sure enough, on the medial side of, of my left foot, my, my foot is hitting the wall of the boot. And I'm noticing all season, I've been having some trouble with a little bit of engagement, having to make a little bit extra compensation on the left side. And sure enough, when I'm standing in the boot, I'm hitting it and I'm not balancing as well. So off to the back room I go, I put a nice even long punch across that medial side of the boot. I, you know, jump back into it and boom, my balance is instantly better. So I learned something from you too. <laughs> Come full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And, Sharing uh, info. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm learning stuff. This, this podcast, it's, it's great. And I think that's, I mean, I, I think that's probably our main message. It's, there's some great information out there be scientific about your process. Don't be like just uh, like a zealot just going, right, now I'm in this camp. Oh, now I'm in this camp. It's like, just test what, what, what comes from doing this, what comes from doing that, and, and then how, how do they compare? There's going to be negatives and, and positives to, to both things, and you got to like weigh up, like, what's your goal? Are you looking to be the next uh, Ted Ligety? Are you looking like you said, to just ski into your old age. You don't really care about how you look or what you're doing. You just want to be comfortable. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. If strictly for pain free, then it's going to dictate your performance. If, if yep. everything your equipment is just like, no, I wanted to be hundred percent pain free, then you're going to eliminate a chunk of performance out of it. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. If you're willing to be comfortably uncomfortable sometimes right meaning you're trying to get the best possible connection and yet and still put up with things that might not be you know really 100 percent comfortable you're going to find how to get the maximum performance 
by slowly yep. carving, sculpting, shaping, getting rid of those little edges of annoyance, right? Just finding yep. those little things that keep your foot from, you know, your, your feelings to be, you know, totally uncomfortable, but getting to a point where you're like, man, I can still really generate the motion I need and still be comfortable enough that I can do this all day long. Yeah. And, you know, on that, because I think it's going to speak to what's coming in the future from, from you and I, which is at home, some simple steps, some things you can do with your current boots to start this process. Because the current boots I've got, there is a lot of hours tinkering, adjusting. I mean, you just adjusted your boots again the other week. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a process. And so we would like to share some more info on some of the steps, some of the little tricks and, and things with, with really simple materials that people can do. So do you want to speak to, to that part? Cause I'll finish up. So basically if you go down this road, you're going to have to need to invest some time either yourself or paying, uh, you know, for the time with a boot fitter to, to also do these modifications. Correct. And there's things that we're going to talk about in the future or, or show examples of how you can figure out how you, how to find the best balance underneath your feet. Right. Um, and, and how to do a diagnostic, because what's important here is that when you do go into a fitter to do some of that work, right. To, to maybe make it more elegant or to interface in your boot better. Right. What you're saying is I'm looking to get maximum performance out of this equipment not, hey, I'm looking to be pain-free. Because what we've built in this industry over and what we've already gone through in terms of this chronology is that the overwhelming um, paradigm we've set in this industry is how to be pain-free, okay? And yeah. not really saying, how can we be performance maximum? Yes. And so when you go to fitters and things like that, we are, we are basically biased, trained, and pushed towards complete pain-free, okay? Not, hey, Mr. Fitter, look at my setup and tell me how I'm going to get maximum efficiency and maximum performance out of it. I get very few clients who come to me with that knowledge of saying, how would I set this up and how would looking at how my feet work and looking at how my boots are, are currently set up and looking at my footbeds and everything I got here, what could we do to make it better from a performance standard? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So that's, yeah. And that's something that, that will be coming right. in the future after you've had a rest of <laughs> boots for, for the whole of winter in, in Utah. Yeah. And so um, I think learn I look that. forward to that. Yeah, if you if you gain some if you start experimenting with your own gear, you're actually gaining knowledge and building your own language that you can then translate to somebody who can then implement it in your gear and go, great, I know exactly what you want. Boom, 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 boom. Right? Yeah, but exactly. And you haven't tried it, you're really at the mercy of what this industry has put into motion over decades and decades, and that's all. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I've got one piece uh, I just wanted to share. Being a, a sort of a fairly recent father, my son Archie's four and a half. If I think back, like I'm glad I knew what I knew before he was born because ever since he's been born, I've got his feet like barefoot all, all the time as much as possible. Different textures, different surfaces and stimulating his body to respond to, to the environment. And I know, you know, in mother's groups and, and other, you know, friends with kids similar age, when I compare like even foot shape and foot structure with Archie versus someone that I know, like the kid he had, he, he got really sick early on. And so he kind of missed a lot of movement and early developmental sort of phases. And I remember when he was about two and a half, you know, he's sort of walking, his parents are like, uh, this is a friend. Wow, his his feet are really pronated. And we realize he can't even like jump very high. And so his feet, all his whole muscular system hasn't been stimulated from really early on. And so the result is 
like, yeah, the motion has never been sort of forced into the system. The muscles haven't had to react. So early on, this guy, this young guy, that's the result of it. So I guess two things, if you're a new, you're going to be a parent or you're a new parent or even, you know, you've got some kids, I think you can help this whole situation if you're going to move towards, you know, not motion controlling, but, but allowing it, get them bare feet, lots of movement, just pretty, pretty simple, simple story there. But then even as a, like an adult, like, like yourself, you probably do things like now you're more aware of it spend time don't like am i fair to say you in summertime you you now do things maybe different than you used to back when you were a 20 year old yeah believe it or not i wear flip-flops a lot more yeah there's this whole thing about like flip-flops are bad for you and yeah they're they're not really the type of footwear you should do what we call foot loading which is picking up like something heavy right in a flip-flop you shouldn't be like trying to go hiking with a backpack on and flip <laughs> but like walking the dog where you're just pacing across the ground it's actually made my feet stronger because mm. it requires my toe muscles to work harder okay and um it requires my plantar fascia to basically work a little bit more in a controlled way yeah. Uh, it requires me to play with um, my posterior tibialis to keep my foot more inverted, not just pronated all the time. There's these, these things, but it's just short periods, 20 minutes, right? 20 minutes of walking the dog with, with flip-flops is to me been more, has been helpful, right? Yeah. Trying to do it, but it's like my feet feel like they're more dynamic by giving them the ability to work out a bit during the day. Correct. Correct. So, just wearing a rigid supportive shoe all the time correct yeah and so it's so the message that's it it's never too early and it's never too late yeah because you you know we we you've seen we see stories on youtube of people transforming their bodies like your body adapts to what you do with it and so get it out of that environment and and like your story you could start with literally five minutes but but i i really think it's important if you if you're looking to go down that road of performance, you're probably going to need to do some work with your body and all the people that the students that I've encouraged to make this transition, we've done a lot of work on technique, how they're moving their body, dry land exercises, all sorts of training. So then when the orthotic is not there, what do they do? Do they just let their foot go or are they actively doing something? And so that's, that's the difference between you know, we talked about this process as so you're going through it. There are things you're going to need to do. If you take something away, what are you replacing it with? Um, but the first place would be just spending more time barefoot and actually giving your feet a, a chance to work out is, is great. I think. Yeah. The key thing is barefoot on softer surfaces. Um, you know, again, coming back, you know, I had his visit to this German uh, footbed or insole orthotic factory, right? And it was really interesting because they like to make their footbeds really soft. They like uh, PU foams that are fairly soft and very cushiony. And, and, and the, the guy who ran the factory goes, hey, think of it this way. You know, basically as a species, we walk barefoot, right? And we walk barefoot on soft, leafy, foresty grounds, right? If it, it could have been sand, it could have been forest covered or grass covered. But we're actually designed to to walk on cushioned, you know, semi-firm, but not grass. concrete. Not concrete. We're no. Geez, we're not supposed to be. You know, I mean, we just don't work well when we're on a hard floor, mm-hmm. on a hard surface. And so we do ourselves actually a favor by going out and walking in grass or walking in sand or, you know, like a flip-flop that has some some cushiony and and doing normal things for short periods of time where we teach our feet to be more muscularly adept to the surfaces around us Mm. it it makes a lot of sense right that a hard piece of plastic underneath your foot 
um, all the time or a hard asphalt surface all the time is, is could be, you know, very likely to be detrimental. Um, but if you, you go through different types of, of terrain, like different types of surfaces, and you allow your foot to adapt and learn how to, how to control that or, or adapt to that, you mm-hmm. think you're, you're basically training, you know, you're training your feet. At the, but at the same time, what's been really interesting is watching how different types of feet work with ski boots. So when I work with people who wear hockey skates or climbing shoes, or speed skates or soccer shoes, when they actually foot bind, have a period of foot binding, they relate, they actually understand the ski boot a lot better because they're used to binding. They're, they're, they're used to binding for a period of time and then releasing, binding and releasing, binding and releasing, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So some people, like they don't, they don't ever have anything contained around their feet and then yeah. they jump in the ski boot, their eyes pop out of their head. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I guess it's a, it's a tolerance thing, right? It's the same with if you're yeah, used to walking in soft shoes all the time and then you go walk barefoot and you're like, ow, the ground is spiky and hard. And right. yeah, so I think the diversity is important in that. Yeah. Like you yeah. need to turn your feet in both directions and yeah. that is, to understand what it is to be in a compressive environment, um, yep. how to respond to that compressive environment um, through muscular control, right? And then to release it and then get new sensations of where you're having to use your feet um, in your lower extremities to compensate for different surfaces. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. So there's the, there's the story of, <laughs> uh how pain came to dictate performance and i think it was it was really interesting to hear especially the backstory and i hope that helps you know just provide some insight into where the two of us are sort of coming from and approaching ski boot fitting at 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 the moment and i really hope it gives people skiers boot fitters out there some some inspiration i'd hope to just start exploring these things themselves and you know it's fine to say we don't like it as well you can take the information as it is and and do what you want with it but we wanted to put it out there so i i appreciate your time brent as always thanks very much yeah and i look forward to our upcoming sort of series on on what people could do next some some at home boot modifications and tests to see where where you're at and what you could do to to improve that that fit and performance looking forward to it so there you have it the interview with brent armsbury i hope you enjoyed that and it really sort of piqued your interest and got the cogs whirring and maybe thinking about your own boot setup and what you've done you heard that i've been on a really sort of uh, long journey of going from supportive and playing with canting and really experimenting with my boots to the setup i have today And so, yeah, I hope it's maybe intrigued you to just think for yourself and also maybe dig deeper. And and at the end of the day, we said like, what do you really want out of your skiing? That's gonna dictate where you go with this ski boot thing. Um, Because remember the title, how did pain come to dictate performance? Where where do you wanna be on that spectrum? I invite you to go visit and check out Brent at Park City Ski Boot in Utah, if you're in the States. He's a great boot fitter and is, has a really open mind and will love to help you get your ideal boot set up. So on that resources, my site, Big Picture Skiing, that's where I put all the best content, all my ideas on how I set up my boots, what I do with my strength and mobility over the summer, how I teach carving, moguls, short turns, and my co-coach, Sam Robertson, who is ex-world championship ski racer. He also has videos and uh, information on there from the ski racing perspective. So we're really just trying to be the best resource out there for people that are really, really passionate about their skiing, you know, be the best skier they can be. Anyway, thanks very much for tuning in and I look forward to seeing you on another podcast episode. Some of you may already know that I've been advising Carve and working with the team for some time now. 
and this year the team has come up with probably some of the most exciting developments to date. They've been working on representing the most fun parts of skiing in their system. They've developed three brand new metrics, progressive edging, early weight transfer, and one that measures the G-force in a turn. And that one, I have to say, I got to try it out this winter in Australia, and that is really fun. This new addition is going to be incredible for anyone who's looking to really push their skiing up a notch. Now, what's even more interesting for this year is the system now detects what terrain you're on and pulls that into your Ski IQ score. This is a huge change and a great upgrade because sometimes it would only really score well if you were skiing on perfectly groomed snow. Now it's going to accommodate and adjust whether you're skiing in steeper slopes, more chopped up snow or firmer snow. So this is a very big change that I think is massive kudos to the team to keep pushing and progressing the app even further. If you're the kind of skier that is looking for a tool to help push your technique that little bit further, then you should definitely check out what Carve can do. Use the code GELLIE15, that's G-E-L-L-I-E-1-5, to get 15% off for the next two weeks.